Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll move on this listener right now in your gentle, loving, powerful, and merciful way as they listen to this message from All Nations Church in Tallahassee. Amen. Take your Bible this morning. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 32. We're going to begin reading in verse 7 here in just a few moments. And I'll be reading from the New International Version of the Scripture. Did you hear about the guy that was sitting in his house and he was reading the book of Acts? All of a sudden he hopped up and he said to his wife, I've got it, i got it. I want to be just like Saul on the road to Damascus. Amen, somebody said. I think that's a great thing to shout right now. Let's go on the road to Damascus. Anyway, as we move through this message this morning, I want to remind you that America needs revival. America needs God. The only answer for the problems that plague our society is Jesus Christ. America needs God. We see it happening on a daily basis, rioters protesting, looting, burning, destroying property and destroying cities. The only thing that we can say is that America needs God. And can I right now give a shout out to our police department and our sheriff department? They have done a wonderful job in maintaining control and peace here in Tallahassee. And I think it's time that we applauded them for what they have done and how they're doing it. They're doing a fantastic job. It's interesting to me that six months ago, first responders were heroes. They were getting free meals and free coffee, and people were just treating them like the kings of the world, and they should be treated that way. I want you to understand, I believe they are good people, good men and women who are trying to do a very difficult job. But now they're the villains. They're spoken of so harshly, so critically. And most of it is unjust for the vast majority of those individuals who are working as first responders. This whole defund the police thing, that's strictly from the pit of hell. You need to understand that. Because without the police, the nation turns into total anarchy. And that's not the society you and I want to live in. Matter of fact, we have to understand that when we remove God from government, from education, from the marketplace, we are sowing to the wind. And the scripture says when we sow to the wind, we're going to reap the whirlwind. And that's what we're seeing happening around us today. We are reaping that whirlwind. We're seeing a generation of young people who have no boundaries, no no limits, think they're owed everything. And that's absolutely untrue. That's absolutely false. The whole narrative that we've seen played out today began when we started with participation trophies, when we didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Folks, I've got news for you. When we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ as it is written, we're going to hurt some feelings. It is confrontational. It requires change. It demands transformation. So don't be surprised when people are upset with you when you live a obvious Christian life in front of them before them. Matter of fact, Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no revelation. And that means a revelation of God, a revelation of Jesus Christ, a revelation of who he is and what he has done and what he wants to do. Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. That's precisely what we're seeing in our society today. Because people don't know God, don't know who he is, they don't understand him. Matter of fact, they don't even believe he exists. They've cast off all restraints. And a spirit of lawlessness is now at work in our society. 
You can read about that in the book of 2 Thessalonians. Matter of fact, chapter 2, verse 7, Paul said it this way, for the mystery of lawlessness, and this is from the uh, American Standard Version, that hidden principle of rebellion is what lawlessness means. A hidden principle of rebellion against constituted authority is already at work in the world. The message translates it this way. A spirit of anarchy is already working in the world. We know Paul was talking about setting up the return of Jesus Christ and the revelation of the Antichrist. But he says that spirit is already at work in the world today. And we are seeing it full-blown, full-bore, operating around us on a regular basis. So you and I, as believers, need to pray, intercede as never before, stand against that spirit of lawlessness, and ask God to intervene. Now let's look at Exodus chapter 32, verses 7 through 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people, whom you brought up out of Egypt, have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them, and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They bowed down to it, sacrificed to it, and they have said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Now leave me alone. This is God speaking to Moses. Leave me alone, so that my anger may burn against them, that I may destroy them. Then I will make you, again speaking to Moses, I will make you a great nation." But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God and said, Why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains, to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger. Again, Moses talking to God. Turn from your fierce anger. Relent. The King James, as we talked about last Sunday, translates that word repent. Just as a sinner repents of his sins, Moses is saying, God, change your mind. Change your behavior. Don't do what you're planning to do. Repent. Relent. And do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. I will give your descendants all this land that I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then verse 14 says, Then the Lord relented, or repented, changed his mind, and did not bring on his disaster that he had promised. So we talked about last week the nature of intercessory prayer is wrestling with God. We see it very clearly in this passage of Scripture that Moses chose to stand up and say, No, God, this really isn't the best plan. I want you to reconsider. Take a moment. Take a breath. Let's think this through. We don't want to destroy the people that you delivered. We want to see you do what you promised and bring them into the promised land. So the nature of intercessory prayer is being willing to struggle, to wrestle with God. We concluded last week by saying that sometimes God desires us to stand against his lower will so that we find his higher will. And that's what we're seeing in America today. God will judge and is judging America. Destruction is on the horizon for this nation. It's time for the people of God to stand up and say, Oh God, won't you reconsider? Give us another opportunity. Show mercy where you're bound to give judgment. God, once again, send your Holy Spirit to bring revival. Let's wrestle, let's struggle, and let's ask God to do what we know to be the revealed will of God. Because we know, he said, 
through Peter, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. So let's pray that way. Let's believe that way. Let's struggle. Let's wrestle that we might see God bring deliverance to our nation. You remember we talked about Jacob in Genesis chapter 32, where he wrestled with the angel of the Lord all night long and said, I'll not release you until you bless me. And we know that old Jacob was a rascal. We know he was a liar and a deceiver, a supplanter. We know he wasn't a man of God, but when the angel of the Lord came to him, he laid hold and said, I'm not going to let you go until you release me, until you bless me. And you know what happened? That's exactly what occurred. The angel of God blessed him, changed him from being Jacob, a liar, a deceiver, to Israel, a prince of God, and in the, hair, in the lineage of Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing. He got the blessing he desired when he chose to hang on and to believe God. So this is what I'm saying to you this morning, folks. When we begin to wrestle and struggle in prayer, don't just passively say, oh, Father, your will be done. You see, we pray the Lord's Prayer, thy will be done in heaven, on earth as it's being done in heaven. But we really don't understand that. The Lord's Prayer tells us very clearly that in heaven, God rules, God reigns, exactly what he desires occurs. But on earth, that's not the case. On earth, men are sin sinful and lawless and rebelling against God. So God's will towards them is destruction. We know it. It's revealed. But there is a higher will of God. And that higher will of God is that those people shouldn't perish, but that they come to repentance and know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. So church, it's time to wrestle. It's time to struggle. It's time to enter in and beseech the throne of God for him to show mercy and grace and bring revival upon our nation and to our world. Let me say it this way. If you ever find me in the hospital, lying between life and death, not knowing if I'm going to survive, if you dare to walk into my hospital room and you dare to say, oh, Lord, if it be your will, let him live, I don't care how sick I am. I don't care how deep the coma is. I'm going to rise up out of that bed, and I'm going to punch you in the nose and knock you out of the room. I don't want you praying like that. I want you to come in and contend for life, contend for God's perfect will. Don't submit to something that's not his perfect will. That's what I'm saying to you today. Seek the higher will of God. And the higher will of God is that everyone comes to know Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior. Then last week, we talked about the power of intercessory prayer. We talked about the fact that one man has the ability to stand before God and change the course of human history. That's exactly what Moses did. He stood before God, and he confronted God, and he said, God, let's reconsider. Let's rethink this decision. Let's consider what it's going to mean if you wipe out these Hebrews. And he changed the course of human history because he was willing to contend with God. There is power when we choose to contend with God in intercessory prayer. This morning, we want to look at the fact that there is a content, a message involved in intercessory prayer. It relates to how we pray and what we pray when we come to God. The truth is, most of us, when we come to God in intercessory prayer, already have a personal agenda. God's not interested in your agenda. He's interested in His agenda. But most of us do. We come to God and we say something like this, Oh, Lord, please save America. Because if you don't save America, I'm going to lose my job. 
God, please save America. Because if you don't save America, I'm going to lose my 401k. God, please save America, because if you don't save America, I'm going to lose my health insurance. We come with an agenda. We understand how it affects us, but God doesn't want that. He doesn't want us coming with agenda. He wants us coming knowing that we can oppose that lower will to find the higher will and see redemption for mankind. God's not interested in intercessory prayer that comes from a personal agenda. He's not interested in listening to people who are coming to him for their own private welfare. That's why, that's why, and the only reason we pray, then God is not interested in that particular type of prayer. Listen to how Moses prayed. It's Exodus 32, 11 through 13. I'm going to read this from the message. It is so clear, so stark, so right in your face. It actually should move you when you hear these words and you see how Moses prayed. It says, Moses tried to calm his God down. He said, why, God, would you lose your temper with your people? Why, you brought them out of Egypt in a tremendous demonstration of power and strength. And you remember that's what happened. You remember the ten plagues. You remember Pharaoh finally relented and said, go. And then after they left, he sent his horses and his chariots to bring them back. But God split the Red Sea and they walked across on dry land. And the armies of Pharaoh were drowned in that same sea. A tremendous demonstration of power and strength was used to bring them out of Egypt. Why let the Egyptians say he added in for them? He brought them out so that he could kill them in the mountains. Wipe them right off the face of the earth. Stop your anger, Moses says to God. Think twice about bringing evil against your people. We talked about it last week that God said they're your people that you brought out of Moses, out of Egypt to Moses. But God turned it, Moses turned it right around. He said, no, God, they're your people that you brought out of Egypt. With a, a tremendous display of power and strength, you delivered them. So what does Moses tell God? He doesn't say, oh, don't destroy these people, God, because then what am I going to do? I gave up herding sheep on the backside of the desert so I could come and do what you asked me to do. But if you wipe them out, I'm unemployed. I don't have a job. Maybe those sheep have been sold or they're gone. Maybe I can't go back where I came from. He says, Lord, think about this. What will the Egyptians say if you wipe out the Hebrews? Do you know how many times I had to stand before Pharaoh and declare your power, your goodness, your might, your glory? What are they going to say about you if you wipe these folks off the face of the earth? What are they going to say if you burn these two million Israelis up? What are they going to think about you? You see, I think God gets very tender and responsive when we pray like that. Because God really does care what Egyptians think. He wants them to know he loves them. He cares for them. That he does have great power and might. He wants them to understand his glory, his, his, his omnipotence that can work in their behalf. He cares what the nations think. And we have to understand when we pray, we pray to protect and to provide and to promote the reputation of a living God. Moses is saying in these verses, God, this isn't about us. This is about you. You're the one that set this up. This was your plan. This is all about you, your reputation, and your glory. And the nations are going to laugh at you. The Egyptians are going to laugh at you if you can't get us into the land of our inheritance, the land that you promised. 
You know, I think God listens when we pray right like that. Second thing Moses said is, God, remember your promises. Look at verse 13. God, do you remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Do you remember the promises you made to Abraham? Do you remember the destiny that's supposed to flow through those guys down through the ages and generations? Do you remember over 400 years ago, you brought Abraham out of the land of or of the Chaldees, and you said, follow me, and I'll give you a land, and your, your descendants will populate the world and be a blessing to all the earth. Do you remember that, God? But Lord, if you destroy us, that's not going to happen. If you destroy us, what happens to your promises? Oh, I think there are times when God is waiting for you and I to stand before him and declare his promises, to declare boldly and clearly and loudly, call upon me and I will hear and answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. I believe he's waiting for us to call upon him and say, God, you said, he who has began a good work in me shall perform it until the appearing of Jesus Christ. God, you said, by his stripes we are healed. God, you said, you are our Jehovah Jireh, our provider. God, you said, you called us by our very name. We are yours. When we walk through the waters, they will not overflow us. When we pass through the fires, they'll not be kindled upon us. When we walk through the flames, we will not be burned because we are yours. Oh, it's time for the people of God to stand up and remind the Lord of his promises he's already spoken in and over our lives. We need to ask him for mercy instead of judgment. We need to ask him for grace rather than destruction. Oh, can I challenge you today to begin praying for those folks that are involved in Antifa and the protest and the rioting and the looting that are walking and living that spirit of anarchy and lawlessness? Would you begin praying for them? Would you begin saying, God, you said you're not willing that any should perish. Would you reach out to those folks? God, you said Jesus didn't come to this world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Would you reach out to those folks? God, you said... The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. God, you said, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Begin shouting and reciting the promises to God of what he's already declared he wants to do. He loves it when we remind him of his promises as we pray. And he loves it when we say, God, this isn't about us. This is about you. It's about you have spoken. It's about your word coming to pass. It's about your promises being honored in and over our lives. It's not about us. It's about you, Lord. And if we don't know how to pray, if we don't know how to think about the glory of God and the promises of God, then can I tell you, we really don't know how to intercede. So I encourage you, get in the Word, read the Scripture, hear what God has said, and then begin praying the Word back to Him. Pray the promises back to Him. God, you said to David, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor a seed begging bread. Oh God, would you once again remember your promises over our church, over our nation, and over this world. Save, heal, deliver, set free. Begin to intercede according to the promises of God, the revealed higher will of God. Begin to intercede. And then number four, there is a cost to intercession. 
There is a cost to intercession. All my life I've went to prayer meetings. Sometimes prayer meetings go something like this. Dear Lord, bless all the missionaries. Heal all the sick. Save all the lost. Be close to the lonely. Bind up the brokenhearted. Amen. Nothing personal, nothing powerful, nothing revelational in that prayer. It's simply rote. It's simply religion. God wants us to move beyond that and understand there is a cost to intercessory prayer. And after we pray those little prayers, then we stand up and we look at each other and we say, we're going to Denny's or Applebee's tonight? Because we prayed our little prayer. We did our duty, and then we're on to the next thing. Oh, folks, I pray that God will so wreck your heart this morning that you won't be able to do that ever again. But every time you call on his name, a spirit of agony for the world will come over you. And you'll understand the cost that's been paid. And you understand the cost that needs to be paid to intercede for this world. I believe we're going to have to make a choice in how we pray. We're going to have to make a choice in how we live. And that choice is... Are we going to be casual and indifferent about the state of our world and our nation? Or are we going to enter in with God to the agony of the world for the bleeding and the broken and the bruised that are all around us? The first church I pastored was in a little town in southern Kansas called Arkansas City. Those of you not from Kansas would say it Arkansas City. But if you live there, it's Arkansas City. And don't you dare mispronounce it. That first church I pastored, we went in 1986. There's about 25 or 30 people there. It was a church that the uh, district, the overseers, wanted to close because it had been so bad for so long, so depressed for so long. And we went there, and one of the first things I noticed is there was a man called Leo Goatley. He was a brick mason, ran his own company, a fine, fine mason. But Leo had a prayer meeting every Monday night. He had done it for years in the basement of that church. I went to the first prayer meeting in the basement of that church on a Monday evening, and I was just there to participate. I wasn't there to lead. And Leo began to pray. And when he began to pray, he bowed down, he got on his knees, and he began beseeching the throne of God. He was praying for his family to be saved, for his church to be revived, for his city to know Jesus Christ. He was praying for the world to come to know the power of the living God. And he wasn't just whispering those prayers. He was loud about it. Someone said, well, you don't have to be loud when you pray. God's not deaf. Well, the response to that is he's not nervous either. Sometimes prayer does need to be loud and aggressive and even violent when we're contending for the souls of men and women. And he would pray and the tears would begin running down his cheeks and on his knees suddenly his hands would go up in the air as he began interceding for his family and his church and his city and the world. He had done this for years. What result was there? 25 or 30 people in that church, most of them almost spiritually dead. His family was living like heathens, not knowing Jesus Christ, but he continued to pray. He didn't give up. He paid the cost. He had calluses on his knees from kneeling on that floor and calling upon God for revival. Well, the long story short is this. 
That little church of 25 or 30 within three years was 500. It blossomed, it grew, it touched a city for Jesus Christ. It wasn't because I came and I'm such a wonderful preacher, I'm not. It was because Leo Goatley had spent years on his knees every Monday night calling out to God for revival in that city. The name First Assembly spread across that, assembly, uh, that city. People came Sundays and Sunday night and Wednesday night. And we did Holy Ghost rallies once a month. And they came and packed the place out. The result of that, the Salvation Army chaplain got filled with the Holy Spirit. The Lutheran pastor got filled with the Holy Spirit. The Episcopal pastor was saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. God broke down barriers and destroyed walls because one man said, I'm going to pay the price. I will pay the cost to see revival come to my city. Were you willing to do that? Are you going to pray for our nation? On Saturday, September 26th, are you willing to come into this house and pray for America as we live stream or as we simulcast uh, re return from Washington, D.C.? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to be involved and pay the price? That's why Moses said in verse 32, Lord, if you don't forgive these people, well, then just go ahead and blot me out of your book. I don't want it either if you don't forgive them. If you're not good enough to forgive them, then I want out of this whole mess. What a strong statement. Is there anyone of us in here that would pray like that? You know, I, I think about that, and I remember Leo Goatley, and I see how Moses interceded, and I think, you know, that's why people won't come to prayer meetings anymore, because they don't understand the cost, and they're not willing to pay the cost to see God move in our hearts and our lives. And if it doesn't happen right now, we don't want to wait. Listen, Leo prayed for years for the revival to come to that church. It came in his lifetime. He saw it occur. He understood that God had heard and answered his prayers, just not on his timeline, but on God's timeline. So if you're praying for a family member, don't stop. Oh, no, don't stop at all, but dig down deeper. Go harder to God. Pray for them more fervently and believe that God is going to do something. If you're praying for revival for this church, don't stop. It's coming. It's on the horizon. There is a move of God in our vision and in our future, and God wants you to pray it into existence. Oh, come on, folks. You can't see it until you first say it. It's time to pray it into existence. God, I see the house full. I see people getting saved every week. I see people returning from the scare of COVID. I see you doing a great work in Tallahassee. Pray that way. Believe God and see what God will do. Do we dare say, Lord, if you're going to destroy America, just take us with it. Destroy us all. Will we dare pray that kind of prayer? Because God is looking for people who are willing to pay the cost for revival, for repentance, for renewal. His people must be ready to pay that price when we come to him in intercession. To ask him not to do what he's planning to do. Why do I say that? Because true intercession is always motivated by love. It's not motivated by our agenda. It's not motivated by our greed. It's not motivated by our fear. It's motivated by love. What does Scripture say? It says perfect love casts out all fear. So when we come to intercede and we come with love, then God uses love to touch other people and break that bondage and that chokehold of fear God has over their lives. 
Why did Moses say, God, if you're going to destroy them, then just blot my name out of the book? Why would he say that? He said it because he loved those people. He genuinely loved those two million Hebrews that God had brought out of Egypt. They were his people. Let me ask you, folks, do you love your church enough? Do you love those around you enough to pray, God, if you're going to destroy them, take me with them? Are you, are you so tuned in to the voice of the Holy Spirit that you understand when we're praying into the higher will of God, there's a cost involved? Moses loved them, and he said, Lord, if you're going to wipe them out, then wipe me out with them. It's interesting when you think about what God said to Moses about blotting people out of his book. It tells us that intercession is not manipulation, that the free will of man is always involved. I'm going to pray for those members of Antifa. I'm going to pray for those people that are rioting and looting. But I can't change them. Only God can do that. And that only happens when they, can I use this phrase? I know I'm using it out of context in culture, but I want to use it. When they're woke enough to understand the grace, the mercy, the peace, the power, the love of a living God. It's time for our culture to be woke to what God has promised to those around us. It's time to be woke to his love, his grace, his mercy. It's time to be woke to his everlasting kindness, to surely goodness and mercy that follows us all the days of our life. It's time to be woke to who God is and what he wants to do in us and for us. That offended you? Get over it. Because that's the truth of God's word. Part of the cost of intercession is recognizing that no matter how much I pray and intercede, it still depends on another person to surrender their will to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because intercession never overrides free will. If it did, it's simply a form of manipulation. So what we do in this situation is we pray that God will soften their heart. Send the Holy Spirit to speak directly to them. Oh, God, you're doing it. Right now he's doing it around the world. He's speaking to Muslims across the Middle East. He's revealing himself to them, and they're turning to him in scores because suddenly they have a softened heart and a revelation of who Jesus Christ really is. Pray for God to soften their heart. Pray for a revelation of who Jesus Christ is in and over their life. Because you and I know the only way to find forgiveness, the only way to bring transformation, the only way to see lives changed is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It's all through the cross. It's all through Calvary. Nothing else will do it. Men and women have to say, I believe thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Confess him, accept him, and then begin to live for him every day of their life. Oh, I want you to understand that intercession can affect things, but it's all up to that individual to make the decision to surrender to the living God. There's no other remedy other than forgiveness through Jesus Christ, through his death, his burial, and his resurrection on the third day. Every individual must come to Jesus and repent personally for their sins. God then will pay the cost of their sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. I was grieved this past week when I heard that one of our congresswomen had the audacity to say that Jesus Christ was nothing more than a con man, and anybody that followed him was a fool. 
Can I tell you statements like that will bring the wrath of God and the judgment of God firmly upon that individual? I never want to be in the place where I put myself in a position to blaspheme God and disrespect what Jesus Christ has done. That shows you how far the spirit of lawlessness and anarchy has come into our world. That one of our elected representatives in the Washington, D.C. would have the audacity to say something so crass, so wrong, so against the gospel of Jesus Christ. Folks, mark my word. Mark my word. If revival doesn't occur, if something doesn't happen in our government, persecution against the church of Jesus Christ is going to intensify. We think we've seen things when the government tries to restrict what we do. That's why I said to you several weeks ago, actually a couple months ago, in this house, we're not wearing masks. I don't care what the county commissioner said. This is the house of God. They have no authority over the house of God. Jesus rules in this place. If they don't have to wear a mask when they're working out in the gym, neither do we when we worship Jesus Christ. There are times we draw lines. We say, this isn't going to happen. This does not align itself with the gospel. We are not submissive, blind sheep. We are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of us need to grow a backbone so we can stand up against the forces coming against us. Persecution against, G against Christians, against the true church will intensify if we don't see God do something dramatic and radical in our nation. So the th something I want you to look at this morning is that in intercession, we wrestle with God. We understand the power of intercession. We've talked about the cost of intercession. It's all about God. It's not about us. And now I want to wrap this up by talking about the rarity of intercession. How seldom we actually choose to intercede. One man chose to go up the mountain and say to God, don't do what you're planning to do. One man stood between the living God and two million Hebrews at the foot of Mount Sinai. And he said, God, don't do what you're planning to do. God, rethink this. God, relent. God, repent. Change your mind regarding these people. I wonder how many in this room, how many listening to this broadcast, how many who will watch this message in the days, the weeks, the months ahead would dare to say, I'll be a person who will stand in the gap between America and God, who will ask God for mercy, for grace, to ask God to withhold and to stay his hand of judgment and destruction and allow us an opportunity to see repentance and revival flow in this land. How many are willing to do that? God said, if I can find one, just one, I won't destroy them. And that's what Moses did. He stood and the people were not destroyed. I want to leave you with Ezekiel chapter 22. And I want you to pray over this and think about it and ponder it in the hours this afternoon. There are five places in the Old Testament where God says, I'm looking for just one. Just one. That's all I need. Just one. There's a nation of sinners around us. But if God can find just one, one man, one woman who will stand in the gap, maybe he'll spare judgment. Maybe he'll bring grace and mercy. Maybe he'll say, for you, for your prayer, for your intercession, I'm going to hold my hand of judgment. Look at Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30. This passage was actually written about Jerusalem. 
Jerusalem was in an apostate state. Israel had turned away from God. They were not following him. Judgment was imminent upon that nation. Listen to the cry of God. And this is God speaking through Ezekiel. He said, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. Did you hear that? I looked for someone who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land so that I would not have to destroy it. God's saying one person, that's all I needed. One person, that's all I need. Can you imagine what would happen if millions of believers around America today would stand up and say, I'm the one, I'm the one, I'm the one. I'll stand in the gap for my nation. I'll stand in the gap for my country. I'll stand in the gap for my church. I'll stand in the gap for my family. Can you imagine what would happen? Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Jesus said, anything you ask in my name, I will do it that the Father may be glorified through the Son. Are we asking anything? Are we simply bringing our agenda and say, God, give me today this, 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 this? Or are we interceding? Are we praying? Are we asking God to do something powerful? Because he is looking for that one person. He's looking for someone. May I dare say it this way? He's looking for someone who will have the audacity, the courage, the strength to stand before him and say, God, don't do what you're planning to do. Stop what you're planning to do and bring grace and mercy instead. But this verse in Ezekiel, it's tragic. It's heartbreaking. God said, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. But you know what the last three words are? The last three words should resonate in our heart, should move us to action, could, should cause us to rise up this morning and begin to pray. Because the last three words of Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30 are these, I found none. And Jerusalem found destruction and judgment because God couldn't find one person to stand in the gap before him that he wouldn't destroy the land. He said, I found none. Church, don't let it be said of you and I today that God looked for an intercessor. He looked for a man, a woman, a teenager, a child who would dare to build up the wall and stand in the gap before him that he would not destroy the land. Don't let it be said of us, I found none. It's time for the church of Jesus Christ to throw off that sleepiness, that tardiness, and it's time to raise up in intercession and begin beseeching the throne of God so that God won't say of us, I found none. You know what he's saying? There wasn't even one to resist my lower will, to find my higher will. God doesn't want destruction. God wants salvation. God doesn't want to bring judgment. God wants to bring repentance and grace and mercy and transformation. That's his higher will. And may I say to you today that God is looking for men and women who will stand in the gap for our families, for our churches, for our nation, for our city. God is looking for people who will stand and declare, God, don't do what you're planning to do, but rather show grace, show mercy in this situation and in this culture. Sometimes I feel like God looks and there's no one there. 
Don't let that be said of All Nations Church. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you're here this morning, you've never received Christ as your Savior. You're listening and watching online or listening on Wave 94. You've never asked Him to come into your heart and your life. Let me tell you what your future is. It's destruction. It's judgment. But today, the good news is, if you accept Christ as your Savior, He's going to show you grace. He's going to show you mercy. He's going to forgive every sin you've ever committed and give you the strength by the Holy Spirit to live a righteous and a holy life that's pleasing to Him. So if that's you today, pray this prayer with me right where you're at. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive my sins. I confess you as Lord I accept you as Savior. Come into my heart today. Renew me. Change me. And make me your son or daughter. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, you've taken the first step to begin walking with Jesus. Now find someone either in the room where you're at, in the house where you're at, in the car where you're driving, and tell them, I ask Jesus to come to my heart and allow him to do, begin doing a good work in you. If you're not in Tallahassee, or if you don't have a church home, find a church. If you're where you can, then be a part of all nations. I know we have many across the nation that join us every Sunday morning, and you're a part of our church family. Welcome. We're so glad you do. Continue to worship Him with us and see God do great and mighty things in our hearts and in our lives. You made it to the end of the message, and now what? Is God leading you to make a change? Are you needing a good church home where you can grow and help others grow as you fulfill your part in the body of Christ? Then we invite you to join us at All Nations Church on Sharer Road in Tallahassee, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Our Sunday morning service is at 1030 and Wednesday night service at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For more information, visit our website, allnationstallahassee.com.